Recovery is definitely easier with this, man. Um, thank you for all the good times, Frank, bad times, and whatever else fucking happened these last couple of years knowing you. Frank K. Thanks, Mark. Um, I just blanked out. Yeah, Frank, Alcoholics Organic. Uh, 29 years ago. Today was day one. Uh, I'm still letting people in. Yeah, I'm a, like Mark said, I'm a great-grandfather. I was at the park with my great-grandson yesterday, and there was a couple that were older than me with a little little one running around named Henry. So Henry and Ace were playing together. And they said, are you the father? And I said, no, I'm the great-grandfather. And I know they were the grandparents, you know. And <laughs> here I am, a great-grandfather with a, with a grandson who is older than the child they're watching, you know. And uh, so they were pretty shocked, but I'm I'm really grateful for all that. Um, I I'm, I could go on for forever about my gratitude here. Um, just the the family I've been a part of, and um, really the, the the recovery I've been a part of through the years. Um, yeah, I grew up in Ohio, up on the coast of Lake Erie. Um, just uh, stats: my parents divorced when I was like 11 or 12. I moved in with my mother because we were, I was living with my three brothers and my father. And we were living on like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And my mom invited me over to this real nice meal. And she said, I want you to come live with us. And I based that decision solely on the quality of food that was going to be available. Um, so I moved in with my mother. And uh, within two weeks of moving to this new town, I was brought home by the police. <clears throat> and that was uh, a recurrence throughout my childhood. I was just always getting in trouble with the police. Um, you know, I never really felt, and you know, we bounced around quite a bit growing up, and uh, I never really felt like I fit in anywhere. And even in my own family, I didn't really feel a part of. And you know, I was subjected to a lot of, uh, um, looking at it now, it's almost ritualistic abuse for my brother's torture, really. Um, and I found out years later why. I, so I, you know, lying, cheating, and stealing was just something I naturally came into. And um, a lot of that was because of them. And they're just emulating them. They were liar cheats and thieves and gamblers, drinkers, drug addicts, uh, high-speed drivers, um, adrenaline junkies, um, womenizers. And these are my role models. These are the people I looked up to. Right? These are the people I thought were cool. And, you know, I didn't know any better. I wasn't really exposed to anything other than that. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I was severely neglected as a child as well. And just didn't get a lot of personal care. And uh, it's like my neighbor would take me to the barber shop to get my hair cut because she would see me come out of the house with my big bush of a head of hair and she would say let's go get your hair cut you know it was that kind of stuff there was just nobody really looking after me um and as a you know a young teen i was on my own and running the streets and getting in trouble and um you know and then my brother was exposed to me to smoking weed when i was really young um i was mixing drinks at uh, family parties you know like 10 years old um there's pictures of me and tuxedos at weddings that I know I was drunk at when I was like 
three foot tall, you know, just a really small kid, you know, in this little powder blue tuxedo. And I remember getting yelled at for getting grass stained on the tux because I was drunk and uh, running around. Um, but I loved the effect of alcohol and drugs. I just loved it. Um, somebody mentioned it not too long ago. They said, you know, when I smoked weed, it took me to another world. And, um, and to me, it was like I was already in my own little world, and then the weed and alcohol just made that little world better. Because um, like I said, I never really felt connected to anybody. Um, so I was very um, problematic as a juvenile. I did really well in school as far as testing and intelligence goes. Um, I took advanced math courses and, and tested really well. Um, but my behavior, my alcohol and drug use, and, and you know, <clears throat> I'd always rather be under the influence of drugs and alcohol. That was just, and it wasn't like I, I don't ever remember running from feelings or doing it because of this or doing it because of that. I just really liked being under the influence, and I tried to stay there all the time. Um, like through high school, I had a, kept a bottle of cough medicine in my locker, and I drank cough medicine throughout the day because the kids that drank alcohol at school got in trouble. But the kids, you know, but me drinking the cough medicine, I never got caught because you couldn't really smell it. You know, so that's just how I survived high school. Um, somehow I managed to graduate. Uh, I had gotten in so much trouble. My granddaughter just recently failed her driver's test. It, and, uh, and I remembered that I was, wasn't allowed to get my driver's license because my license was suspended before I ever got it. For running from the police on my dirt bike. And they caught me. Now they caught my buddy, and he turned me in, but they suspended my license before I could even get it, so I wasn't allowed to get it for six months. And um, But that was the kind of stuff. It was just, you know, I was just out having fun, and, and uh, I was in a small town with too many police. They just kept interfering with me having fun and me doing my thing. And, um, and there was a group of us, you know. It wasn't just me. There was a lot of us that had alcohol and drug issues. For sure, uh, some some of my friends started going off to rehab at this time, you know, and I was always there to to welcome them back to the world when they got out to get them high and you know we missed you come on let's go get get, get them wasted, and um, <clears throat> I got my first DUI, uh, in my buddy's car I was driving through a bunch of lawns and uh tearing up the grass we used to call it turfing lawns, and uh, I got caught. And they suspended my driver's license, and I had to go to AA meetings. I had to go to three a week, I think. And then I had to go to outpatient treatment. And um, at this point, I knew there was something definitely wrong with my drinking. Um, I remember vividly being at the beach one night, and I was drinking this beer, and I could hear this little voice in my head saying, you don't need this. Why are you drinking? You're already buzzed. And it just... Just never, I could never get a handle on it. I could never, um, it was like I was on autopilot all the time, just taking whatever came along. And you know, I did a lot of household chemicals, paint and gas and glue and um, whatever I could get my hands on just to get, you know, keep the bug going and keep it, whatever. Anyway, so I got in this trouble and I had to go to AA meetings and, and here I was, you know, I have a family of alcoholics and drug addicts, and then I come into a room full of alcoholics in recovery, and it was just like culture shock, and I just could not 
it was like a whole nother world to me. It was like going from America to a foreign country. Um, it was that black and white for me. And, uh, you know, the people welcomed me and, and they seemed to really genuinely interested in my welfare, which was totally foreign to me. Uh, I'll never forget this guy, Ernie. Um, you know, I was in there getting my slip signed and just staying in the back of the room, not talking to anybody. And Ernie caught me on my way from getting my slip signed because I was a court order to AA, so I had to get this little paper signed at all the meetings. I don't know if they do that in Europe. But anyway, so I'm coming back from that table, and Ernie shakes my hand, and you know, I did the traditional looking at the floor, you know, shook his hand and went to turn away. And he said, how are you, Frank? And I said, oh, I'm fine, you know. And uh, he didn't let go of my hand. And I was trying to walk away, and he just held me there. And just, and he, you know, I was forced to look up at him. And he's like, no, Frank, really, how are you? And it, it just cut through. It was like, it was undescribable the experience for me. Um, <clears throat> how it touched me. But here was this guy that was really interested and really concerned. And, um, and that, <clears throat> that really changed everything for me. I really <clears throat> identified, you know, I, I got a copy of the big book and I had a, got a sponsor and you know, I was making coffee and I had a good crew of young people that were sober at the time and we were all running the meetings and having fun. And, um, and I identified myself as an alcoholic in that big book. Like we just read the jaywalker story at a meeting last night and I was the jaywalker. That made total sense to me. That, and, and not thinking about the consequences before picking up a drink, it was, that was totally my MO. I never, there wasn't even a thought of what might happen if I drank you know, even though all my experiences proved that once I start, I can't control it. Once I start, I can't tell you what's going to happen. I mean, it could be a nice fun night. I could be an emotional cry uh, baby, or I could be the rageaholic breaking windows, breaking street signs, breaking light posts. Um, it was all hit and miss. I was Jekyll and Hyde. It was, it was really... Um, and I'm watching all this happen in my head, you know, just trying to figure things out. And of course, I don't have anybody to talk to, you know, in, in my family. You know. So, I don't know, that was all. It's it's really hard to, to focus on any one thing that happened. There was just so much going on at that time. I had signed up to go in the service. Um, my dad was a life Marine, so I was going to be a Marine. And I was going to get out of this small town and get away from these cops. And the Marines were going to straighten me out. They were going to take care of all my... Um, bad discipline, my bad behaviors, and, and they were going to whip me into shape. And uh, and that was like the most important thing in my life at that point was getting out of town and getting away from all this, getting away from the police. And uh, so I'd quit smoking weed to pass a drug test to get in the military. And then I was trying to quit drinking, and I was really having a hard time with it. So I basically just stopped hanging out with everybody I hung out with and went to meetings and hung out with those people, and, and that really worked. And um, and one night my two buddies picked me up, and they had a 15 pack of beer in the truck, and they were both in the, going in the military too. We were all shipping out around the same time, and uh, and I said, no, not tonight. I'm not drinking. And I lasted about 15 minutes in the truck with two guys drinking beers. I could say no for about 15 minutes, and then I was like, oh fuck it. And uh, we ended up getting arrested, all three of us. You know, we got out, and, and now I'm 18. I had just turned 18. So it was no more juvenile court. It was no more juvenile offenses. It was um, serious jail time I was looking at. And um, 
Yeah, so now I'm suicidal. You know, I told my my uh, gunny, the enlistment guy, that uh, you know, I got arrested again. He said, Frank, we don't want you. So now my ticket out, the Marine Corps is no longer a ticket out. So now I'm stuck in this situation in this town. And the only thing I want to do is drink and the only thing I you know, but I know I can't. And um so I'm I'm really I mean, I had made a mess of everything so far that I thought, you know, it would be, I'd be better off dead. And my family would be better off without me. That whole kind of thinking. And it was very serious. And um, so I had this plan. And uh, I was going to this outpatient treatment. And I had to see this woman named Becky. And I was just pretending that everything was okay. And I was just trying to get through to this day when I had planned to do it. And um, for some reason, I, I walked in this lady's office and I just broke down and told her you know I was, I was suicidal and, and everything that had happened that I hadn't told her about and just you know everything came out and uh she really saved my life and, and I'll never forget her and um and she she ended up leaving the field <laughs> shortly after <laughs> uh, she was no longer a counselor I went back to see her years later and she was no longer there um but yeah, so uh, you know, I started getting really serious about AA. I I, I got sober uh, in August of '86, I believe. Might have been '85. I'm not sure. But anyways, um, you know, I'm going to meetings. I, I find a, a home in AA. I find I'm really comfortable. And once I got completely clean, um, everything turned around. You know, I was hopeful. I was happy. I was strong and healthy and um really active in AA and active with all these young people. We were going to conferences and um, just really good fellowship. And, you know, we had AA softball teams and AA picnics. And it was a whole different kind of AA back in the 80s. And uh, just really, really good. And then I met this girl at a meeting. She came in and uh, she walked in. I can tell you the meeting I was at. It was a Tuesday night and she walked in and she had this golden aura around her. And there she was, the girl in my dreams. I met her at an AA meeting, you know, and uh, just like out of the big book or whatever the story. And yeah, and so we started dating, and, and she got pregnant. And then I, you know, she told me, and um, to tell you the kind of family I came from, my mother, when I told her what was going on, she offered me money to get out of the country and to get out of town and to leave this this girl alone with this with my child, and. Uh, so that, that was just how we rolled. Um, but I was an AA and I wanted to do the right thing. So I stayed and stuck. And, um, and we started having babies. And you know, I had a, like a little nervous breakdown in the beginning. You know, I was working eight, like eight hours a week, living in my mom's basement, riding my dirt bike every day and going to meetings at night. And all of a sudden I'm going to be a dad. So I have to get a job and I have to get an apartment and have to become a responsible person. And, and uh, and we, you know, it all fell into place. And, um, you know, my daughter was healthy and um, it lasted about 22 months, I think, the first time. And, uh, you know, I'm working 60 hours a week now and I'm not going to as many meetings. I have a newborn. And, um, I think at that point, or it might have been coming up. I may not have had her yet. I don't really remember. The whole time period is really blurry. Um, but my brothers are going to Indianapolis for the um, Indianapolis 500, and they go to the time trials every year. 
and we rode motorcycles down from Cleveland to Indianapolis. And my father would ride his motorcycle up from Oklahoma to Indianapolis, and we would all meet there. It was like an annual thing. And somehow I talked myself into partying. I just thought I could do it one weekend out of the year. I'll be out of state. I'm going to go and get high with my brothers and party. And I'll be in Indiana and nobody will know. And I'll come back and be sober again. And everything will be fine. I'll just get all this stress out of my life. Um, and so that's what I did. And I was high before I even left home. We were in a gas station. And I can tell you the gas station. It's in North Olmsted. And uh, before we got on the highway, I was high with my brother. And um, yeah, so I partied all weekend. Same stuff always happened. I, I got drunk and threw up and passed out. And, um, and I came back and I came back to A and it wasn't the same place. You know, I was carrying that big secret, not telling anybody. And it wasn't because it had become a real safe place for me. I wrote, it was, it was really my life in those meetings. And, um, and that was all shattered somehow. So I grabbed my sponsor and I said, Hey man, when I went to India, I got high. And, uh, he said, he, he said, I got a bag in the car. So here's my sponsor. I'd been smoking weed this whole time, and I never knew it. So I call him my pot smoking sponsor. And uh, out of all the people I knew in AA at that point, I picked the wrong, wrong guy to tell. And I got high because me and him just started smoking weed all the time. And so my wife thought I was going to meetings. And me and him were getting high and going golf, and me and him getting high and going to the movies. And um, and I stayed away from drinking for a long, long time because I knew I, it was an issue for me. <laughs> But I figured I could smoke weed, you know, and then I got a cold and then an old friend cough medicine came back and uh, I got physically addicted to cough medicine very quickly. And uh, I was drinking it like, you know, like I drank everything, like I did everything. And it was funny. My son's got 15 years sober and he called me a couple of years ago and he's like, hey, Deb, wouldn't it be great just to get high once in a while? And I was like, well, wouldn't you rather get high all the time? And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, well, that's the problem <laughs> because there is no once in a while for us. It's all the time, you know? And it's just funny how the, the, the disease come at you with those simple little ideas. Like, can't you just do it once in a while? And the reality is what the reality always was because it was never once in a while. It was always all the time. Yeah. So I, you know, I got physically addicted to cough medicine and, and was doing that for a long time. And, and people were noticing. You know, I'd be at work and people would come up to me and say, are you okay? Because you get, you're sweating terribly and, and you look awful. And I'm like, yeah, I just have a cold, you know? Um, but my pot smoking sponsor took me out to a bar one night and I got this little medicinal bottle of cough medicine in my pocket. And I said, you know what? This is silly. I'm drinking this little bottle of Robitussin and, and I might as well just have a drink. And I said, well, give me a rum and Coke. And it was like, I'd never fucking stopped everything changed completely there was no restriction there was no hesitation there was no it was like that was the one thing that was keeping me somewhat sane was not drinking and once i took that away i was completely insane again and completely back to it and i came home and i announced to the family that i was drinking again you know my brothers welcomed me back it was so nice to have me back partying again even my father-in-law who was a, a really rigid strict guy He's like, you know, I think Frank should be able to have a beer after he gets off work. You know, I think that's okay. And, and here's my wife who, who knew me from AA. And she's like waving her hand saying, no, Frank drinking is not a good idea. You guys don't understand. <laughs> this is not a good thing. Don't don't support this. And uh, and I continued for, you know, I was, I was out for seven years. 
And uh, and at the end, you know, and I knew I was an alcoholic and drug addict. There was never much denial in my life. I always knew there was an issue. I always knew that I was different. I always knew that alcohol affected me not like other people. I couldn't do it like other people did. And being an alcoholic made total sense when I came in. I was like, oh, that makes sense. This is my problem. Um, so once I started drinking again with a full knowledge of AA and the disease and the whole thing, I knew exactly what was going on. And I knew I was getting progressively worse. And I knew I was physically addicted. And there was no thought of, hey, I should stop. Hey, I should try AA again. I just didn't care anymore. I just, I was drinking myself to death because that's what my disease says. You know, stay alone, stay by yourself, drink yourself to death. And uh, so that's what I was doing. And we had gotten in that argument, my wife and I, and uh, over my daughter's birthday party. And I had set out and went out, got a couple bottles and came back and um, she had called the police. And I was growing pot in my basement. And it wasn't just a little pot. It was a lot of pot. And it was really smelly. So as soon as you open the side door, you could smell a pot through the whole house. And I had three kids by this point. And I don't want to go to prison. And I don't want to get the kids taken away. So I leave. I'm like, I'm not going to deal with the police in my house. I'll deal with the police out on the road where they won't smell the pot that's growing in my basement. And uh, so, But, I, you know, I have a motorcycle. I got a pickup truck. And, and and I decided to take this bicycle because I don't want any legal problems. You know, I'll take a drunken disorderly or a public intox. That's okay. You know, I'll, I'll deal with that. My family will understand that my wife called the cops and broke the family code. That whole fucking sick thinking way of life that she lived in. Um, so yeah, the police come and they're chasing me on this bicycle and they're talking to me out the window. They got the lights and the sirens going and I'm trying to run away on my bicycle. And, uh, going and it's this lady policewoman and she's going frank we just want to talk and i'm like oh no no and they're like no we're concerned about you your wife is very worried about you and we just want to talk and i said so you promise you won't arrest me if i stop and she said yeah i promise so i stopped and she promptly arrested me and took me to jail and they charged me a dui and a bicycle which i didn't know you could do so they took my driver's license away again and apparently ohio had changed the code and uh, just word remove the word motor out of the motor vehicle code. So it was any vehicle. So now uh, it's not just me having trouble in my personal life. It's me having problems in my professional life because now I'm going to have to tell my work and I no longer have a driver's license. And they've been questioning me about my drinking as well. You know, there was a few occasions where the secretary said, you know, do I smell alcohol on you? And I would just say, no, no, I was just drinking the night before. And uh and that, you know, that passed <laughs> as many times as I could. But now it's all on the open. So, and AA is the last place I want to go. They want to send me back to those meetings at court. And I said, don't send me back to those meetings. Just send me to jail. And uh, they think, well, no, AA is really the best place for you. It worked really well the first time. You stayed sober the whole time. You were attending meetings last time. So we'll give you seven meetings a week for a year. So that was my new probation. So I had to go to seven meetings a week for a year. And that's how I got sober. They pulled me back in. And this was the last place I wanted to go. And that's what, if there's really anything about my story, it's the thinking of alcoholism. It's the thinking. Because AA was the last place I wanted to go. I did not want to come back here. I would rather drink myself to death than come back here. Um, 
knowing what I knew, you know. And uh, once I got sober again, and I tapered off. It took a long time to get out. I was really physically addicted. And um, once I tapered off and my thinking cleared, I was like, man, that the sober time I had the first time was the best time of my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. It gave me three beautiful kids and um, and gave me the hope that I needed the very first time because I was on my way out at 17, you know. My life was over. And um, that that's the thing about alcoholism. That when my when I take a drink, my thinking changes completely. I am no longer uh I'm not I'm not the person sitting here. I am an alcoholic that's gonna continue drinking until it's over. It's like I get on a roller coaster and I don't get done until the ride's over. And that that's that's my drinking. Um Yeah, so I got I went to my old home group, Lakewood Men's Beginners, and uh it was a Monday night, and I left that meeting. I went home, and I had a quarter ounce of good, really good green bud, and I flushed it all down the toilet. And that was my sober date 29 years ago. And uh, that was the first time I ever wasted anything. I never threw out drugs. I never dumped alcohol down the drain. I would drink the warm beer I passed out with the night before that was flat rather than throw it out because I knew I was just going to throw it up anyways. I would My morning drink was over my sink. Because I knew I was going to throw it up. That was, that was, you know, it's like people that know late stages of alcoholism, I don't have to explain all that to. And, uh, but it was pretty fucking horrific. And the thing that was making me sick was the only thing that made me feel better. And that's the cycle I was stuck out day after day, hour after hour. Um, eating wasn't even, you know, I, I would eat like half a meal a day and, uh, I would just drink around the clock. And wake up and drink and pass out and it wasn't I wouldn't even call it sleeping it was just passing out and coming to and drinking and passing out and, um, yeah so you know it somehow you know a pulled me back in and got me sober again um, and I went to that meeting with six days sober and then I went to that meeting at 13 days sober and then I went to that meeting at 20 days sober and I never left that first step table until uh, uh, probably six months and uh, and I went to lots of meetings. Like I said, I was on probation. I had to go to seven meetings a week for a year. And um, and it worked, you know. Physically, I had to go through a lot. You know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, rebuilding. I, my liver had to go through. It was, it was swollen when I, I was. I went to the doctor three months over, and I didn't tell him anything about drinking or anything. I just wanted to get checked out. And he said, you know, your liver's enlarged. And I said, oh yeah, I quit drinking three months ago. And he said, well, it'll it'll get better. That's one of the few organs that does recover. And uh, I'll never forget, he said, you know, when you when you think about drinking, Frank, you should talk to your wife. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. When I talk to my wife, I think about drinking. <laughs> but there was a lot of people out there that doesn't really understand the disease and didn't understand alcoholic thinking. And, and I think we've made leaps and bounds, uh, especially within the last Zoom years of spreading information and what's what's really true and what's really what works and what doesn't work and uh, yeah so you know I got sober again and then I went through and I got busy I was made coffee for years I was chairman for years I was secretary for years I, I had two home groups Monday and Thursday um, and I, I was the type of guy that needed a lot of meetings I need that's what I needed to do to stay 
sober. I needed to keep my thinking straight. And this is where my thinking gets straight. It's not sitting on the couch by myself. This is where I have to come to get back in fucking tune. Because on my own, I'm a fucking mess. Um, yeah, I got divorced at five years sober. Um, I mean, really, it was just all good AA. You know, I brought my kids up in meetings. You know, I was a single dad, so I would bring my kids, and they would sit in the back and color, and um, they had donuts at the meetings, so they were happy. And, uh, I, you know, I really liked the people in AA meetings much better than my family. So I thought bringing my kids up around them was a much better choice than taking them to my family for babysitting. I would bring them with me and expose them to the good people in the world, you know, and, uh, and they loved it. You know, they loved, they're, you know, still friends with a lot of them. Um, the people that I helped get sober, helped my son get sober up in Ohio when he got sober. And, um, my daughter's got five years or four, four or five years now. And, uh, you know, it's a family illness, you know, and we, uh, I've been trying to warn my granddaughter about it. She knows she's been to meetings. Uh, I, I voluntarily mentioned therapy to her the other day and she, she I was like, you know, you could go to therapy. And she's like, I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. <laughs> you know? She's 18 and uh, whatever. Um, yeah, I was, I've moved around a bunch. I've been in a bunch of relationships. There was one that was really, really important to me. Um, this woman really taught me how to love and open up. And she really got inside of me. I had a lot of fucking barriers up from the abuse and trauma. And uh, she broke through a lot of that and um, really gave me a, a, a long stretch of really good years with my kids um, where I was emotionally available. And she was a good example um, of how to be a parent. And um, she taught me a lot. And when that ended, it was it was devastating to me. And, and I went through this season of grief that I would go to my father's grave and just cry. And it just opened the floodgates of years of abuse and years of neglect, years of um, suppression, I guess would be the best way to say it. It tried to contain all that emotion. And it all just came out. And uh, I don't know how long, how long it lasted. Weeks, I was there weeks going to the grave nightly and crying. Um, and then one day it just stopped. I went there and there was no more tears. And I, just, I was like, oh, I guess I'm done. Um, so yeah, that was really therapeutic for me. Uh, I've never been very lucky with therapists. Uh, uh, I don't even want to go through all those stories just because it was, uh, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. I've never been very fortunate with good therapy people. So. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I, I met this friend who did a uh, Native American um, spirituality, and she helped me through a lot of stuff. And uh, she was also a therapist. And uh, we did some sweats and Native American ceremony, and we took care of some of it. But uh, I, there's loads of things I've never dealt with, and touched. And uh, they've all been coming up recently. And um, I guess it's just I'm I'm just stuck in this spot right now, and I don't know how to get out of it. And, uh, and so I'm thinking that's that's you know that's like the only answer I have left. And yeah, but I was isolated for a long time um, before Zoom. 
in the pandemic. And when Zoom came along, it really, really saved me up. Mentally ill, I was very sick. Um, I suffer with depression and, and a whole lot of other things. And um, me isolating, not going to meetings is very dangerous. And that's where I was when Zoom happened. And, uh, I just threw myself into Zoom and going to meetings. And you guys got my thinking back to a sober alcoholic's thinking rather than the depression, mental illness, sick, isolated, um, uh, what else how I would describe myself, but it wasn't uh, wasn't using drugs, but uh, you know, I wasn't healthy at all or drinking. I wasn't drinking or using drugs. Um, but I was isolated terribly. And Zoom just really fucking came along at the perfect time for me. And I really embraced it. I really like it. My kids don't really like it. They don't do the Zoom thing, and I don't really know why, but I would think that their generation would embrace this better than ours. We do, but and I just love it. I love having friends all over the world, and I love being able to reach you guys 24-7. I love going to – I just started going to the CA meeting, and I'm not even sure where it is. It's called uh, Out of the Pollution, and it's just fucking hardcore – a lot of new people just coming in and just the fucking war stories of, you know, jail institutions and <laughs> that's the shit I need to remember and that's the stuff that I, you know, and we just read, uh, you know, the, the whole Jay Walker story and I just love that. That's that's my thinking completely. And uh, I'm just, a, I'm an alcoholic of common variety. I have a lot of uh, other things. It caused me problems, but it works <clears throat> for me to keep me stable enough to, to, to make it through another day, you know? Because um, I do still struggle with depression occasionally. And, um, it's like a whole other disease, man. It just gets on top of me before I even realize it. And, and it changes my thinking completely. And that, that it's just, it, that worries me a little bit. <laughs> you know, these, these complete mental thinking thought pattern changes are a little alarming to me um, it's just it's amazing at the same time and baffling it's like now i know why it was so hard for them to get a started uh, and why we baffled all those doctors because there were people that really sincerely didn't want to drink and they would just find themselves drunk over and over and over again and, and that's my and that's my thinking or lack of thinking or lack of judgment um so yeah, I have a healthy respect for the illnesses I have, and um, I try to stay tuned in as much as my uh, illness lets me. I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, obviously, I'm struggling right now, and, and um, anniversaries are never easy. Uh, it's just I, I got really harsh of judgment where I should be in life, you know. And uh, but then Nana came in, and, and you know, Nana always says it's okay to be me. And, uh, it's okay to be you. Thanks, everybody. I'll stop there.